So this is the story, a possible story, of how one of the world's greatest civilizations just vanished. This is the Book of Souls. Hello and welcome to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. I am your host, Uncle Steve. This week, joining me from Perth, Australia, I have the translator, the historian, and the podcast administrator, <clears throat> Kirsty in Perth. How are you, Kirsty? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. My voice feels like it's <clears throat> messing yeah. up here. So, Do you need some cops in the yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to take some NyQuil tonight when I go to bed. Uh, and next up, we have the flip-flop, the thong. We have the horseshy guru, Matthew, in Kansas City. Matthew, how are you? In the kingdom, baby, Kansas City. I'm very good. How are we? <laughs> Doing good. Doing good. Kirsty's doing good, I take it? Yeah, we're all doing good. Doing good and ready to talk about an album by Iron Maiden. We're going to do an album review that, how many times this is the third try, I think? At least for me it is, because we were going to record it the week after the, uh, what was it? We did Dance of Death, and then we were going to do the album battle, and then do Book of Souls. And then I think the first time my internet crapped out. Mm. The second, yeah. the second time, I don't know if Matt was out of town or if yeah, that's right. And then you weren't available anyway. I think or were, something happened where we actually Matt wasn't going to be available. And we just weren't going to do it. We were just just two of us. So no, I wouldn't do it without him. Yeah, and I said yeah, do it without me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what most of the people were asking us to do as well. But we just you said we <laughs> you know. forget him, just do it. Yeah, exactly. So. But we wanted to have the gang, you know, the gang together. The, the trio. The trio, the gang. So um, we're going to talk about the Book of Souls today. And anyone that's listened to Kirsty's Iron Maiden story, anyone that's listened to the Dance of Death versus Book of Souls album review already knows how Kirsty got into this album when it was released September 4th, 2015. But Kirsty, why don't you give people like just an update in case maybe there's someone here that just... Never listened before, and this is their first episode. Sure. So I was like a really obsessed Iron Maiden fan right up until 93, and then it kind of waned, and I, I didn't listen to any of the albums after that until I saw that they were going to do an album tour in Perth, where I live, and I wanted to hear the songs before I went to the concert. So first of all, I played this on 
YouTube and like I was telling you on my story and um, I didn't realize I was listening to a slowed down version <laughs> that they put on so that it wouldn't get pulled and mm -hmm. I thought it was terrible at first but yeah it um I enjoyed it so much and it came across so well live that I got back into Maiden and listened to all the albums I'd been ignoring for so long very cool Imagine it. I can imagine it being so slow and you were like, God dang, how old are these guys now? <laughs> they still got it. Yeah. So what about you, Matt? How was your getting into this album? Well, I sent you a picture recently of the day that I bought it. And I think it was the same day that it came out and I got it from Best Buy and I put it in the CD player straight away to have a listen to that. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't know. I guess the reason I remember this this time is so my son was going to be born soon. Mm -hmm. So what what date did you say it came out? That uh, this album came out September fourth, two thousand fifteen. Oh, okay. I always used to think it was a lot closer. He was born about a month later. Mm -hmm. uh, as you were saying that, I was just looking through to see the date that I took this picture. That September the 4th, yeah. yeah, it was the same day because it's a picture of me uh, just holding it up in the mirror, taking oh. a picture of myself. Uh, I sent the wrong picture then, didn't I? Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, did you? That, yeah. could, that could be scary. Don't worry. But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering what it could have been. Ah, oh, that's yes, it's a different album. Yeah, that was the most recent album when that one came out. You should, should probably listen to that one day. Um. That's what train of thought. Yeah, so I bought this. I'd never been away. So I know that both of you had phases where you took a little break then came back, but I just kind of always stayed around. So I was a first-day buyer for this album, and I have never had any problems with this release whatsoever. Some people have a difference of opinion yeah. on how the album uh, or how the band had progressed by this point, but no, I think it's uh, – I'll save my thoughts for later, but I have no problems. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Save your thoughts for later. Um, me, uh, I also had, you know, kind of stepped, you know, kind of left after Maiden. I think it was, uh, I was into X Factor when it was out and I was, uh, I, I was around for a bit, but then there was a point where I just, I kind of just, got away from a lot of the music I was listening to. And I got back into Maiden around 2000, probably 10, nine or 10. Uh, so I, I don't remember the final frontier coming out. So it may have already been out. I don't remember because I wasn't like paying attention to, it. I was just like, Oh wow, they've got some other albums here. I need to start listening to. And I remember really liking a matter of life and death and brave new world. But book of souls was the first album that, okay, I've been a fan for multiple years now, and they're going to release an album. I'm going to get it on release day, and I'm going to sit down and listen to an album in full. And I remember I got the album that day, and I had to drive my family somewhere. I had to drive five, six hours somewhere. It was probably six hours by the time we got where we were going. It was my in-law's house. We had to go inside. You got to do all the hellos and all that stuff, and it was late at night. Get every you know get the kids put to bed. And finally, I'm like okay, because I stayed in a little. They had like a little what they call uh, like a mother-in-law suite, you know, like kind of like a little separate house off of their house, where it's just like a bedroom, a shower, yep. what and you know 
I so would, I would call it a granny flat. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Okay, okay. So I was out there in the little granny flat, and uh, I mean, I remember I got everything situated. I sat down at a table. I put my headphones on, and I turned on the album, and I sat there and I read through all the lyrics when I listened to it, and it was it was really monumental. I thought that's probably the first time I've had that experience since the late '80s or early '90s with Iron Maiden. So, so that was me you know, getting into them and, and, and I want the full album experience all at once. I never listened to speed of light before, even though I had the single because I had to buy a, a shirt. Um, and I think I've, I think I've sent Kirsty, you've seen the picture of the shirt on my son, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I know I showed, I know I sent it to Matt a while back. So, but yeah, you know, I, I remember buying a shirt and putting it on my son back then. And, you know, he's 19 now, so now it would probably fit him, but, Back then, I mean, it swallowed them whole. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was me getting into the album. And um, well, I guess what we'll do here is we're going to go through the album uh, song by song, discuss them a bit, and at the end, we will give our <laughs> ranking of. Uh, I guess it will be from eleven to one. Council's orders, yes. I think, what they get it, what they call it around here. I'm kind of new around here today, oh, but yeah. I guess is that what they call it, Matt? Council's order. I believe that's the term that they throw around. Yeah, that's what when, when a politician uh, chews you out because you you read a ranking opposite, then you have to, you know. Do you mean when you go against what would be common sense? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I, I think pretty much everybody would prefer it if we did it this way, not just he's just yeah. the guy that brought it to your attention. Yeah, but he gets he's the namesake for it, so. Yeah. He. I know he's probably pretty proud. I think that I think that has something to do with why he got reelected probably last time. So it, I thought that was to do with you. I thought you got him pushed across the line. Yeah, yeah. It was it was me what won it, I think is what how it went. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. So so why don't we go ahead and we'll get started here with track number one. And I bet Kirsty knows who wrote these tracks, but uh track number one is called <laughs> If Eternity Should Fail. It's by Bruce Dickinson. Very good. Man. 
the coming of men Just a soul of witness The beginning of the end From a world of magma To a cold rock face The ascent of madness And a human So, so tell us about it, Kirsty. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, I love this song. It's um, it's just got that really atmospheric intro. Bruce sounds really powerful, and the synths add to the drama. And it was such a great opening of the album, and an amazing opening of the live show as well. And I love the harmonised riff when all the guitars kick in. Um, I just think this song's a really good use of the three guitarists, mm-hmm. and the verses are good. Uh, kind of mid-paced, but they've got a gallop, and there's a catchy, interesting chorus. And as we know, this was originally for Bruce's solo album, and it looks like it's still going to be on Bruce's solo album, because it's going to be on the B-side. Mm-hmm. And because it was a Bruce thing, it's got the band's first collective use of drop-D tuning, which I think fits really nicely with Bruce's voice to me. And he sounds great, because he sounds like he's singing a comfortable register. I uh, don't feel there's any need to trim this song, but I did read that Steve asked Bruce to add an extra verse, and incredibly, it still doesn't sound like it's too long to me. Yeah, I've never heard that. I think the instrumental section is interesting, because like, it kicks off with his drums, and um, there's no there's no solo there, it's just composed guitar melodies. It sounds so good. Mm-hmm. And then... Right under the final chorus is Adrian starts soloing all to the all the way to the end, um, which takes an already great song to the next level. I could do without the Necropolis stuff, but it's fine. I don't mind it. I think the guitars under it are really nice. And yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing if it's different in any way on Bruce's solo album. Yeah, that, yeah, that will start. be interesting. Good start to the album, definitely. Very good. What about you, Matthew? I give this track a pass. I really, I really like this track. Uh, like you were talking about, Kirsty, all the little guitar noodling and all that, that that lasted. I love that sort of thing when Adrian's doing that. And I wish there was more tracks that had that sort of thing. I mean, maybe there is on the latest album. I haven't heard it all, so I really don't know. Um, but I think Bruce, he just sounds really, really good on this. The whole Necropolis thing, though, I don't understand why they used it. It's, 
uh, I mean, they're not cutting and pasting. They're flying it live. Why just? Uh, I don't see the need. It doesn't bother me. I was just always confused as to why they would keep it in. And I remember reading something about Bruce questioning its um, inclusion and that Steve had said something about, no, 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 we'll keep it in. For yeah, because it's to do with souls. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, another, just, another one of Steve's odd decisions. Yeah, I don't know. But I like this track a lot. Um, there's some good harmonies in here. Like I said, Adrian's work is really, really good. Um, and then Nico, Nico's little drum beat or whatever he does about halfway through the song before the, you know, when that tempo picks up, mm-hmm. him and Steve, I really like that little section there in the harmonies. It's just great. But I think this is a, a solid, solid track. And I would hope that we get to hear this again live one day, but I don't know that we've maybe got time for that, unfortunately. But I'm glad it's documented. Yeah, it could be, it might be heard live uh, on a Bruce solo tour, though. He might pull it out because because it's got the maiden tie and he's going to be like, now we're going to do it the way it was meant to be. You know, maybe that kind of thing. So uh, time will tell. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, both of you said it pretty well. Kirsty, Kirsty always sums everything up like just about, uh, but yeah, the dark keyboard intro is really cool, you know, and the Bruce coming in and, you know, when we first heard this, uh, something hasn't been mentioned yet though is, you know, when we first, when you were hearing this song, we all knew Bruce had cancer while he was singing this album, you know, when he recorded the album. So like you're hearing this and I thought, man, he sounds pretty good for being this, you know, cancer, you know, got cancer. And I think it was tongue cancer, right? I said it, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. But like, it obviously didn't affect his singing and he hadn't started his treatment yet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I think Bruce affected cancer more than cancer. Yeah, Bruce. yeah, yeah. But you know, hearing him sing and you know, kind of wail a bit here and there, I, I said it, it, to me it was glorious. I like there's there's certain echoes that are on the mix of his voice uh, that I like on here. I don't think this is the most energetic opener, but I guess this late in their career, you know, it's it's they've kind of slowed some things down at times. So, but it's a great song. Um, let's see here. I like the bit, you know, where he's singing when he says devastation and he goes despair and he really holds that one big long note out. That's really, I like that. I think it's got a great chorus mm-hmm. when the, again, the, like what Matt said, when the music kicks up a notch and man, mm-hmm. Steve's bass playing, like he's just, you know, doing all that big, that really high playing on his bass and just dude is, I mean, as old as he is, however old he is, he's still amazing. Like he, it doesn't sound like he's lost anything. And I, I love the mix. Like it's got a really good mix to where you can hear everything. You can hear the guitars really mm-hmm. well and you can hear the bass really well. Obviously you can hear the drums and you can hear Bruce too. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, this is a great, great song, but for me, yeah, the whole necropolis part uh, p- takes it down a little bit, but, but, but I mean, it doesn't take away from the song. I just don't like it being there. It's so, unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and then the fact that when you went and saw them live, they finished the song, and then that whole thing played too, and you're just it's like, why are, you, why are we having to listen to this for another minute? So Yeah, like Necropolis. I, I kind of get what they're talking about, but it's so specific when they've tied it to that name, I Am Necropolis, because it has no bearing on the rest of the album. Right, yeah, it's just, just kind of... I don't know. It's, Isn't it cool, though, when he says, I am the harvester of the soul, meat? It does sound good. 
<laughs> mm, I don't know. When you listen, isn't that when you yeah, listen I to know it? You, I know you don't know. When you, you I know, think it's, it's good words. When you listen to it on the live chapter, though, it's real echo. Like it's, I don't know if it's echo. Like Bruce's voice is real echo at the beginning too, where it, it's almost hard to grasp where he's at. And then at the end, you can hear everything. I don't know. I just, I just don't care for it. So, but everything in between, though, I like. So. Necropolis. I am formed of the dead. I am the harvester of the soul. And I suck the lives from around my bed. My only two sons, I gave them breath. And I filled them their living corpses with my bile. What humanity I knew. I have long forgotten. For me, eternity is nothing but a short while. So track two is Speed of Light. And who is Speed of Light written by? Smith Dickinson. A Smith Dickinson song. So, Kersey, tell us about Speed of Light. Okay. Well, <laughs> Smith Dickinson wanted to write short rockets like they used to do in the 80s. Um, so that's nice to have again, um, especially after the first song. It's good to have something fun and up-tempo here. Um, that quick little intro with the drums playing along is so cool. Like, how many drums does Nico have? Like, he seems to play every single note. <laughs> along with the intro. So um, you just know what you're getting when you hear the scream and the cowbell. It's not going to be something too serious, just a fun rocking song. 
And the song's based around a riff. So the riff's the catchiest part of the song, not the melody, not the vocal melody. Mm. Um, but Bruce sounds amazing throughout. He's really belting it out. The lyrics are pretty cool. And the chorus is catchy. Uh, I like that Somewhere Back in Time is a lyric. I find there's a lot of little nods to previous songs on this album. Mm-hmm. And I found that on Sinjutsu as well. Um, there's a classic pair of fast solos from Dave and Adrian as well. So, yeah, it's, it really takes you back to the 80s. And the video was really good for this too, which um, you can't often say. <laughs> um, but, yeah, brilliant song. All right. Two for two. Two for two. What about you, Matt? I didn't like this track when it first came out. And I, if I think about it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of whatever. It's all right. And when I listened to it, I was like, oh, it's not too bad. Like Cowbell. You know, who doesn't want more Cowbell in a track? So you know what you're getting. Yeah, it's going to be something short, sharp, hopefully to the point. And so I like parts of this and there's other parts. It's usually the, the guitar melody. So you've got the guitar riff. But then it switches up to that little melody that and it reminds me so much of the video games because like <laughs> you said uh, Kirsty, the video clip for this was based on on different games and the technology at the time so i always think about the little killers uh part of the, the video on the old platform games when it's like a donkey kong yeah yeah game, and yeah and I get trapped into thinking about that, and then I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like this track after all. It's a bit cheesy. <laughs> but there's nothing really wrong with it. I like the rest of it. The solos are really cool in this. It, it's just a, a maiden, short, sharp to the point rocker. Uh, but it worked really well live. I did like it live more than the album. And I'd never skip it on the album. I'm just kind of humming and hawing on it. It's, what did you think then wrong. when they played the video while they were playing it live? Uh, distracting. Yeah. Not, really a, not really a fan of that because I end up watching bits of the video and then I find myself watching the video. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just get taken out of the moment a little. But, I mean, yeah, as far as the videos go, it wasn't a bad video. But, yeah, it's not a bad song. There's nothing wrong with it. I'd still rate it in its own right fairly highly. It's... um. Yeah, it's just solid. It's not standout, but it's still solid. Okay. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I, I think Kirsty was the one that told me that this was kind of written, like he screams at the way he screams at the beginning because this kind of had a deep purple vibe to it. Am I remembering that properly? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because the, um, the riff okay, is okay. Um, some sort of thing that, Bruce thought that Deep Purple would do. Gotcha, so he gotcha. did an Ian Gillen scream. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the of that. And I'm definitely... What, of the scream? Yeah. It's just, I think it's a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's ah. not terrible. i just just not a big fan. I'm also not a big fan of, you know, when that riff comes in and then it's just... Duh, 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 on that big cowbell. Like, ugh, just That's not what I want to hear in an Iron Maiden song, mostly. Um, but... Once you get past that, I mean, the song kicks in and it, it it's a it's a stomper, you know. It's it gets going really good and uh, it's there's a lot of there's there's a mix of major and minor key in the song that I like. Uh, I like the vocal melody uh, that he sings in the pre-chorus, um, and uh, actually, let's see, 
I'm reading my notes that I wrote down here. Uh, I like the vocal melody, and then uh, in the pre-chorus, I love the pre-chorus, and then I love the chorus as well. And I love, you know, the way he does that, you know, shadows in the stars, and he really, like, kind of wails on that, because I always go back to thinking, man, he was singing this, you know, with a major illness that he didn't, or I don't, I don't know, what do you call it? What do you call cancer? An illness, a sickness, or a disease? What would be the problem? Yeah, sure. A disease. He all that's probably a disease, though. Yeah, so I mean, he was singing it with this deadly disease, and I mean, and like when I hear that, the way he wails on that word "stars," it's really, um, it's really sort of affecting the way that you listen to this album a lot, isn't it? It did, you when know. I, when I listen to this, I do not think about Bruce with his throat cancer. I guess I did because I, I mean, it was a pretty big deal because they, you know, it didn't announce it until right before the album came out, if I remember right. Yeah, or, which was good. They didn't announce it till he was. Yeah, sure, um, sure. But I mean, to me, that was just going in. It was like, like I think about that when I listen to some of these. Like these, I think these first, especially that, that was the one that really got me. Where it's like, wow, he he still has it, and I mean, it's a great, just a great wailing, high pitched, you know, note that he's hit there. It sounds really good. Um, but yeah, I, I really do like this song. I think there's there's a, some nice dual lead line. Um, uh, in, in the song as well that I really enjoy too. But yeah, I, I think this is a good one. I mean, is it their best stomper? No, but I think it's a pretty damn good one. So that's what I got. So, so track number three is called the great unknown. And I believe that is a Smith Harris, right? Correct.
and curse. Am I just going first every time? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So here, let me. You do the heavy lifting, and then people can just skip the rest. So on the great unknown, Matt's going to tell us what about it first. Excellent. Do some heavy oh, that's lifting. Not that's not fair. I didn't have heavy lifting written down. <laughs> no, I, I really like this track. Uh, I didn't put a lot about it because I figured I'd just add my little noodling to it after Kirsty had talked mm-hmm. about it at length. But the, So I'm not always a fan of the intros and outros, but I really like the intros and outros done on this. It's Bruce sounds so good. The keyboards in it, I like the addition of the keyboards in this. They provide atmosphere without drawing too much attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I like the, I like the build in this as well and just how it, it kicks off. And I think you talk about stompers. I think this is a stomper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the pre-choruses and the chorus, I think they're on point. The solos, so the, the solos are kind of chaotic, and I'm not sure if that's a term that you have used before, Kirsty. As far as this track goes, perhaps, because I don't... I've definitely used it before. I know you have, and I was trying to think, is it this? Because it just reminds me of like a controlled kind of chaos. And I well, like... The sometimes one. I use chaotic, not in a complimentary way as well, but uh, I don't think it was this song. Oh, it wasn't, but I... No, I think this is a solid track. And yeah. I like I like the way that the, the solos quickly come to an end. And then you go into that little fade out and Bruce. It's something, if you look at the lyrics, to me, his vocal melodies don't match the lyrics. Like, it's a pretty somber kind of song. But I, for some reason, I just find hope in the way that he delivers uh, the, the words to the track. But I just think it's a really cool track. That was all I really had because I figured the Kirsty would go ahead and I could agree with someone what she said. But you stole that from me. Well... I'll go ahead and talk about it next. <laughs> I told Kirsty she could go first on everything, and now she's going last. You'll, you'll leave her with nothing to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, she'll have plenty to say after we get oh, done. Couple of couple of us dags, you know. We won't have all, enough to all say. the common all the common sense points. Yeah, um, but yeah, I really, really like the intro to this. It's really minor key, you know, kind of a dark feel to it. Um, I like the rhythm of it. Uh, I like when he sings, he's like, you know, that winter softly falling to mm. the ground. I like the way he kind of kind of lifts that voice, that lifts that note up there. Um, I, I really enjoy the intro, and I'm, I'm happy that I got to hear this one live. Um, I, I don't hate Tears of a Clown as much as I, you know, I don't talk, I don't feel as bad about it as I used to, but I definitely would rather hear this than Tears of a Clown live, I'll say that much. Um, and I think there's a really good build from that intro into the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the verses have good melodies. You, I feel like Bruce is really pushing in this song too uh, during the pre-chorus. Uh, and then there's a great vocal belly in the chorus as well. Uh, there's the, the nice guitars, you know, playing like a melody. And it's not like you almost like where you would sing along with it. I always dig that. Um, and then I... There's a lot of dual lead lines in this stuff. And I remember someone telling me, you know, the, the newer stuff just doesn't have dual lead stuff in it. And there's a lot of good stuff if you if you just actually listen for it and give it the time. But I don't know who the order of the solos was. Uh, I wrote Adrian. I do. I wrote. Yannick first, then mm-hmm. Adrian, then Dave. Okay. I have uh, Adrian, Yannick, or what did I? I don't know. 
whatever I whatever it was, I really enjoyed the soloing in the song too. So I think this is a really a really uh, good one. So, what about you, Kirsty? <laughs> well, yeah, I just agree with everything you said. <laughs> no, um, I thought this was a real grower because, like a lot of the modern songs, there's always a lot to take in, and this one kind of needs quite a few listens. I always liked it. I just grew to like it more. And I didn't get to see it live, but I watched it live on YouTube, and I think that helped. Um, the the um, opening is beautiful. It's mm. a bit different, like the way you sang it, Steve. But what you were um, illustrating was the word ground. He goes up on the word ground, and I think that's really cool. And yeah. it's, it kind of sounds a bit folky, but folky in a good way. Mm. Um, the verses are good. Uh, the music underneath is the star of the verses. I really like the pre-chorus. I think the chorus is good. I don't think it's one I'd find myself humming. But I know that if I say that, I'll be humming it for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a little thing that bugs me on this album. Um, but it, it comes up especially in this chorus. I don't know about drums, but it's like there's this one symbol that kind of annoys <laughs> me a little bit for some reason. <laughs> I can't explain why. Yeah. I think I've just been listening too hard for this. Um, I love that everyone gets a solo on this song. I think um, Yannick does go first. He's absolutely shredding. And then you get another chorus and some more guitar harmonies before Adrian and Dave. And I think that happens quite a lot on their newer songs. It make, makes them quite long. Yeah. yeah. But all the solos are just amazing. It feels like the three of them are having a competition. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, um, I think the moment where it stops after the third solo, but just before it goes into the calm outro is really great. So, yeah, another song that I really like. Very cool, very cool. Okay, the next song, written by Steve Harris alone, is called The Red and the Black. And I'm actually going to take this one first.
Okay, first off, the bass intro is completely unnecessary. It's just a waste of, I don't know, 45 seconds. It's, it's self-indulgent much. God, it's and, – and Steve Harris is – I mean, obviously he's an amazingly talented guy, and he plays all kinds of bass stuff that just is really good. And, you know, he wants to be seen and heard because that's why he does what he does. But in this instance, he is not making the song better. You know, he's not playing for the song. He's playing for – yeah, that's what it feels like, self-indulgent. So um, the, the, the lead riff that comes in – uh, and then Bruce Falls, that's really good. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the vocal melody during the you know the bits of it. Uh, there's there's a lot of singable guitar melodies, and and I feel like that's mm-hmm. a Dave Murray thing, you know, because they were doing that before Adrian was there, and I, and then they have of course one of my favorite things in Maiden history. Whoa. Well, you know, I love the whoa, whoa, whoa parts, the sing-alongs. Uh, I love, love, love them. They do that quite a bit in this song. And then the, you know, there's the, you know, Dave Murray does the guitar line ahead of time. So he's like setting you up for it. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Just those, those, you know, the way Bruce is singing those, those. Uh, Meanwhile, we play the waiting game. I just, I just don't think that's a very good. Uh-huh. Me- I don't think it's a very good melody. Uh there's just there's tons of sweet guitar melody lines. There's good use of keyboards in this song. Um, the keyboards kind of swells. Uh, the chorus, I don't hate it, but it's kind of dull. You know, it's just I don't hate it because when I listen to it, I, I catch myself just singing along with it. But then at a certain point, it kind of hits me that, you know, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But then we get about halfway through the song and Bruce just disappears for a while. Like I'm thinking multiple, like what? Four minutes or so. And there's some really good Adrian solos. I think all three of the guys get some really good soloing in here. Um, and I honestly think that there's so many dual lead lines. There's so many great solos. There's so many cool musical sections in this part of the song that that's really what makes this song really, really good. Um, and something else that I liked about this when I heard it is a lot of bands, you know how you people, we know people that'll complain and say, well, you know, the songs are too long. They need to cut them. They need to clean them up or whatever. But I love listening to Iron Maiden just go on a hashtag journey <laughs> and uh, just let the music kind of, you know, do it, do what it wants. Like they kind of give it a life of its own in a way. It feels like the song becomes a song of its own outside of just the lyrics and things. And I always love that. So, but I think it's about six minutes or so. And Bruce comes back in with another, whoa, whoa, whoa part. And then I think uh, once all that ends, we get about another 30 seconds of what I wrote down is utterly useless bass guitar. And then that's the song, mm-hmm. but but I do like this better than I think I rated it on on the, uh, the album battle we did. So, uh, what about you, Kirsty? You want to know? I thought I had some good things to say. <laughs> so, I think the bass solo. I think it's all right. I think why not? I guess flamenco dancers wear red and black. 
I think the opening riff is really heavy. That's really cool. And like you, I think the first time I listened to this song, I wasn't really paying attention. I just had it on and I thought the woes were really good. Like I thought, oh, that'll be played live for definite. Mm-hmm. But because the um, the vocals are really, really high and wordy and rushed and it sounds like it's straining to sing them and the chorus is really ordinary and um, because I really don't like the guitar playing the vocal melody which goes for a few songs but on this one it especially bothers me because it seems to be drowning bruce out and it doesn't stop until eight minutes in but it's a 13 and a half minute song so yeah it does get better after that if i can not skip the track um that is a good bit and there are lots of good um musical ideas but they don't really seem to me like they go together Hmm. like as a cohesive song yeah. Um, but I think let us hear Bruce either write the song with a vocalist in mind or keep the guitar playing the melody and just make it an instrumental. But yeah, there's a lot to like from Yannick's solo onwards, but I would usually skip this song. Oh, wow. Okay. What about you, Matthew? Well, I must listen to a different Red and the Black. <laughs> uh, I like this. I do understand some of the criticisms that both of yourselves and other people might have with it. Because I've, I have been up and down on it from time to time. I could never uh, skip the second half of this track because it's just, well, oh, it's everything I love about Maiden. Just, it, it seems to me like a really colourful track. It reminds me of um, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner in a way, especially that second half of it. But the first half is where people seem to have the problems. Yes, it's very, very wordy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitar melody following the vocal melody, yeah, that's something I usually have a problem with, but in this case, I don't. It doesn't bother me. The bass intro and outro yeah, is itself indulgent. I don't know why it's there. It doesn't add anything to the song. It doesn't follow the structure at all, but I'm just so used to hearing it there now. Yeah, it doesn't worry me at, at all. But I like the, the chug. There's a chugging feeling in the riff when this starts up that I like. And I think Brucey, you know, he goes okay. There's nothing really stretching in here on this at all. The chorus, is it the best chorus ever? No. Doesn't bother me again, though. But there is a part where it does seem to repeat as if it goes on a loop just once too often. <laughs> but what, I tell you what, once I get to Adrian's solo at about the, I think it's around eight, eight and a half minutes thereabouts, that would have been my favourite solo by him until the latest album but i love that from this point on just musically it's just so colorful so vibrant uh but some of the lyrics in this as well and and the way bruce will draw out some of the lyrics and within the melodies i just like it Uh, he's got a, a line a different mind every step of the way but in the end they're all mine i like the way he just draws out that one word there and he does it a couple of little times they're very subtle little things but i just think they make this song a little a little more interesting that one of the lines that they've put in there reminds me of a track from x factor so he says step inside my inquisitive mind are you scared of what you just might find i love that line because when i hear that it always takes me back to 2 a.m and how depressing that that was like think about what's going on in someone's head mm-hmm like you said, Steve, you get some woes. Who doesn't like the woes in a track? Um, 
Sure, but somebody no, doesn't. But <laughs> maybe, maybe so. But no, I think it's it's just a cool track. But musically, the second half of this is everything I like in Maiden. It just it flows so well. It's like they're jamming out. But oh, the only other thing I can think of is that you think the song's about to wind down. And it stirs back up again towards the end. And I really like that. It's just like, I'm so into this song, I don't want it to end. Get a little bit more. Okay, yep, I'm happy. But I'd be a whole lot happier if there was more <laughs> musical tracks like this. Can't get enough of this one. Well, very good, very good. So, where are we at now? We're about, well, we're not quite halfway through the album, but this was a double track album. Five. But we are on track five, yeah, yeah. So, track five is called... When the river runs deep, and it is written by Adrian Smith and Steve Harris. Kirstie, why don't you tell us first about when the river runs deep? Uh, I think um, I think the opening riff is quite chaotic. Kind of reminds me of Back in the Village a bit. Um, Bruce's intro, um, the look for something that is hard to find, that's, that's a bit different. Mm-hmm. A bit strained. Maybe I could have done without it, but I don't hate it. And I think the riff, when it gets going, is really cool. It just sounds like a straight-ahead classic 70s rock song and i'll tell you exactly which 70s song it sounds like madman by urchin Mm. so it's been a very cycling happen there i think the verse is all right i like the the way the vocal harmonies just highlight a few of the lines they're not there all the time i think the pre-chorus is really good and i like when the half-time drum beat on the choruses happens Mm. Um, and again, they only do a vocal harmony when they say when the river runs deep, just to highlight the title. And um, I love the instrumental section on this. All the solos stand out to me. Dave uses a lot of wah on his solo, so I thought it was Adrian at first. Um, I like when it slows down for Yannick's solo. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not liking all that. And then it slows down again for Adrian Solo, and um, that would be my favourite one. And there was just something about it that I had to rewind it the first time I heard it because it's just um, something about the unusual note choices, I thought. And the song's got one of the best endings on the album, and it's a nice break between the two epics. Interesting. That's me, Dan. Okay. What about you, Matthew? I I do like this now. I used to think this was a kind of an odd song in as much as the tempos, you know, where they slow the tempo down for the chorus, etc. In a way, it reminds me of Different World um, from A Matter of Life and Death, where it took time for me to appreciate this song. But I really like it now. Uh, like you said, Bruce sounds like he's strained a little bit. And it's like he's going to go off the edge and just lose it, but he's somehow manages to rein things in. Uh, no, I like the track now. I think that the guitar melodies in this are really good. The solos have a frenetic pace to them. Uh, no, it's just a good solid track. I think it's a good modern Maiden track. So I like where they've kind of gone on this album. There's some different things that they've tried, and they're not just doing what they've done in the past. I think this is an album where they stretch themselves. And I think this is a a perfect example of that within this track. Okay. The opening riff, like Kirsty said, it's just, it's kind of wild and I really don't like it. That's what I do like about it. Yeah. I don't like that. When, when it does kick in with that, dun, 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 that kind of riff, that that's a pretty cool riff, but you know, and then you add that, really odd riff thing at the beginning with, you know, like Kirsty said, you know, Bruce, like that straining, look for something that is hard to find and all that. Ugh. I wrote Bruce's melodies at the start. Yuck. Ugh. I just didn't like it. Something about this song that, that kind of drives me crazy. Uh, I think Nico is an amazing drummer and he's what I've referred to it also as a dental drummer. But his sometimes I don't mind that most of the time I don't. But his busyness in this song it just kind of a, puts me off as well. I'm, I'm, I listen to it. I just I don't know. It's it's that coupled with the, I don't know. The melodies aren't too bad. You know when they get going. You know the way he sings. If you should sell your soul as cheaply as I did, like that's that that, that the melody going through that isn't bad. Um, I guess would you say the part where he sings? There's no use in hiding. Got to keep on trying or whatever. That would be the pre-chorus, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that's pretty decent. I don't mind that melody, but when it, mm. it and I know Kirsty says she likes this, but when it slows down to halftime on and and they, I I just think that chorus is, I don't like it. I do not like the chorus in this song either. Um. Yeah. This this just this song doesn't. I really, thought I thought it gave it texture and contrast though. That's what I thought worked for it. Um, it probably does. I just, I just, I don't like the melody in the chorus. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of maybe a good word is dull again. But I just, I just never, I've never been a big fan of that. But I just, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a terrible song, you know. But when you're combining Steve Harrison and Adrian Smith, I kind of expect a lot more out of it. <laughs> so I've never written anything this good, though. Let me make sure. Make let me make that clear. I've never written any any song that good. So, 
So now we're at the, I guess we're about the halfway point of the album now. The title track of the album, written by Yannick Gers and Steve Harris. And that's Yannick's first write on the album, The Book of Souls. I'm going to let you go first on this one, Kirsty. I don't want Matt to 
throw a wrench in everything here. I will he. You'll be fine. Um, yeah, so very nice intro. Um, very atmospheric with the keyboards. Um, I like the way that the guitar slides into the riff. Um, and it, It's got a bit of an eastern feel. Mm-hmm. The drums sound great. And, and again, the drums are almost playing the notes of the riff. And it's such a great heavy riff, but I don't think of this as like a heavy song for some reason. Because um, the verse is like really slow and dramatic. I guess I think of it more as like a, one of those theatrical kind of epicky songs. Where it's painting a picture. Um, I think the keys give it like an atmosphere, a bit like Seventh Sun. And... Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it really sets the scene and the tempo um, allows Bruce to really belt it out as well, which is great. He sounds magnificent on this one. Um, I like when it speeds up for the instrument instrumental. On this one, we get a throwback to Lost for Words, which is pretty cool. And um, Dave Solo is awesome. It really fits the song. Um, again, like The Great Unknown, you get another chorus after Dave Solo and some guitar harmonies and a verse before you get the next two solos. So which is great. Sometimes that can make the song a little bit over long. Um, but sometimes when I'm listening, the, the, those 10 minutes absolutely fly by because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think, Matt? I think this is up there with the best of the title tracks. And I think we may have talked about that once before. I don't think it was my top, but I think it was pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is, it's almost epic-y. What did you say it was? It's like 10 minutes, Kirsty. Yeah. Yeah, this does not feel like a 10-minute song at all. There's a lot going on within it, though. And like you say, like lyrically, it paints a picture, and Bruce just delivers this so well. But the music in this, it, okay, journey. It really is a musical journey. Uh, hashtag. <laughs> hashtag can't be beaten so far. Uh, no, this is one of my favorite tracks. I was stoked that I got to see this live. I mean, you, you knew that you would, mm-hmm. but oh, just the time changes. I don't know. This is a you know, how sometimes you'll hear a song and you think, oh, if they had done this or they'd done that, you know, mm-hmm. you can try and improvise. This is a track I couldn't improvise on at all. Like, I love this track the way it is. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, okay, yeah, I this is epic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I like, I love the intro, you know, the minor key intro. Uh, I like the keyboards that accent it, that riff that kicks in. I mean, it's, I think the only, the best word mm-hmm. is like, it's slamming. <laughs> it's just good. It's so Stomps. heavy. And yes, and there's just that, you know, that, yeah, it's like a stomp beat. Mm-hmm. And, and just Nico is perfect there. That riff, it sounds like a big Adrian riff, but this is a Yannick co right? So uh, either way, man, it sounds awesome. And then Nico is hitting, uh, I believe it's the uh, the crash symbol. No, not the crash, the uh, the China. It's called a China. It's like an upside down symbol, and it's got this. Is big... that the one that annoys me? Probably, probably. <laughs> but man, it sounds good. I like the, I like it, it just because he's do because it's got that stomp beat going. Yeah, I even wrote in my notes. I, I hadn't read my notes yet. I wrote, this riff is slamming. <laughs> uh, I think Bruce sounds majestic in the melodies that he sings. You know, not only on the the verses, but 
the chorus. I mean, he's just sounds awesome. There's a big long musical section uh, around six minutes where it gets kind of crazy, and man, what a this song is just a. I think this. I don't want to use that word. This song is a perfect song. I'll say that. It's mm-hmm. long. It doesn't, like Kirsty said, you know, you, those minutes go by really quick and you don't even, you feel like you just listen to it. You don't even think about, the, when you're not thinking about the time at all and it's a long song, that says something. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely love this song. The, like, I think Matt kind of said it well. This is, this is. It's hard to. It's hard to describe because everyone features so strongly within this track. Everyone has their own parts, and it's all done so well. Mm-hmm. And have, have uh, the pace of the song, the that type of slamming riff and beat that they're doing. I, I can't think of another Maiden song before it that was like that. I mean, maybe yeah, there's another. It is really different. It's just unique, and and you know, gosh, it's like anytime someone wants to complain about Yannick being in the band. This is like the first song I think of like this song freaking rules. And, you know, if he wasn't there, maybe, maybe this riff doesn't get brought to Steve and then we never have this song. So, mm-hmm. so thank God for Yannick. So, all right. So next up we have track, I guess I have this as side two uh, on my little notes here, a uh, death or glory, which was track one on side two or track, uh, what was that? Six, seven, eight, seven. Track seven on the album. Death or Glory, written by Smith Dickinson, which is probably Kirsty's favorite combination, I'm guessing, in writing for Iron oh, Maiden. You know, I do love them. You do. You but do. We need to have the whole band to make Iron Maiden great. Absolutely. Absolutely.
So what do you think about death or glory, Kirsty? Oh, I wouldn't have too much to say about it. Um, it's a just a fabulous short rocker. It's great live. It's got a nice tempo. It's a maiden gallop. It's a great sing-along. Mm-hmm. It's about a battle and planes. So you know that Bruce is going to be really into it, which mm-hmm. is important. And um, yeah, absolutely goes off. You can't go wrong. Nice Dave and Adrian solos. And uh, again, like that, as was their intention, it does hark back to the classic days. Yeah. Okay. Matthew? Another grower. I used to have a problem with this, and it'll be obvious. It's the whole monkey thing. <laughs> and they kind of turned into a cheesy-looking track live, you know, climbing, throwing bananas, <laughs> holding a monkey and whatever. And I think they ruined it for me for a while. But once I got past that, is this the best song ever? No. But it's enjoyable. That's You know what? That's why I listen to Maiden. I want to listen to some music and enjoy it. And that's how I feel about this now. Yeah, it was a grower, but it got me to where I want to be. I'm happy listening to it now. And I, so one of the things I used to find amusing was, and I've talked about it before, that little descending rip at the start. It's just creepy sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there's some cool lines in all this. One of the lines I do like, inside I'm the king of pain, but outside you will fear my name. That was my takeaway on this. Everyone knew who this, you know, you're talking about the Red Baron or whatever with his triplane. But, uh, yeah, it's just a straight-ahead rocker. It's cool. You get some slide guitar from Adrian. And, yeah, I've come a long way with this track. Didn't care for, for a start, but always enjoy it when I hear it now. And it was good to see live. So it was a, it was a good one. Okay. Yeah, for me on this one, I, I feel like the intro is a little bit busy leading up to uh... – when the riff kind of kicks in and it's a pretty busy riff once it gets going, mm-hmm. but I, I do like the melodies and the verses. Uh, you know, I see the enemy. I know he can't see me. I like the uh, melody in the pre-chorus, you know, turn like the devil shoot straight from the sun. The chorus, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the death or glory. It's all the same. The price of fame and all that stuff. I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, this song's okay for me, but there is some really, really. I think Adrian's got a really, really solid solo in this song. Kirsty, mm-hmm. am I right? Of course he does. Okay. But, I mean, they both do, actually. Um, they work nicely together. But yeah, like um, Matt was saying, he's got that slide. I don't remember the slide, but uh, I do know I remember Adrian's solo. He'd like beat. throw it. He'd throw it for Bruce to catch during the show. And it'd usually end up on the floor. Oh, yeah, I guess I don't remember. I was probably... Uh, no, you probably didn't spend half your life watching Adrian Smith's solos on YouTube. Like, he was too busy climbing. obsessed fan. Yeah, I was, I was climbing <laughs> like a monkey. So I was, That's probably when I was taking the monkey mask off my face when, that was, when he threw it. <laughs> but no, I, I do like this song. I mean, it's not one I would skip, but it's it's not a favorite either. So, uh, But it's it's a solid song, so... So speaking of solid songs, so track uh, number eight, is this track number eight? Yeah, track number eight. Kirsty knows I'm not very good with numbers, Matthew, after she listened to that Kiss episode. So oh, I know, mm. I sent him a message and I said, write the numbers next to the... Yeah, actually, actually, there was a effing in front of numbers. <laughs> so, 
Just throw that out enough. there. <laughs> I was going to say, I could not imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Matthew, the next song we're going to do is Shadows of the Valley, which was written by Yannick Gers and Steve Harris. Why don't you start off telling us about Shadows of the Valley? Is everybody hung up about the Wasted Years intro on this one? No. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore? <laughs> you know, it this never, never bothered me in the least. I thought it was a bit of a non-event. Uh, I, I don't know. There's something about this track that reminds me of when the river runs deep, and I can't put my finger on why it is. It's wordy. But I like Bruce's delivery in this. It's got an urgent sound to it. I think this has got a really cool chorus. Um, but it's it's not a standout track. It's just what I find with this whole album, apart from Book of Souls, which I think is top notch, they're all kind of samey. I get the same sorts of things. I get good solos. I get Bruce is awesome all over the place. Mm-hmm. And this is just another one where it's, do you remember we did Power Age and it all felt the same? That's what yeah. I get throughout. I get that vibe throughout this album because I really like this album. So this is just more of the same for this one. There's nothing deep about it for me. I just enjoy it as a a good, solid Maiden rock song. That's about all I've had on this one, though. But the biggest takeaway was everyone used to complain about the Wasted Years intro and they've got nothing left and just going back to the same old well. But I don't find that at all on this. Those people probably like to listen to ACDC and Slayer. 
<laughs> Perhaps. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, but they definitely follow a formula too. So, uh, Kirsty, what do you think of Shadows of the Valley? Yeah, well, I didn't like it much at first. The, um, the intro that sounded like Wasted Years, but not. But, you know, I came around. And they mentioned Sea of Madness as well. So that's pretty cool. I think the intro's got an unsettling feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite like the um, the way Bruce sings it. And just the way he highlights certain words that you wouldn't really expect. Um, I can never really remember the verse when I think of this song. So I did have to play it again this week. It just it doesn't really go in. But it's okay. I think the um, chorus is good. Um, the keyboards under the pre-chorus are really effective. Um, I think the instrumental is really good. And Yannick Solo fits the song really well. Mm-hmm. And the way I always talk about Adrian and Dave, you think I don't really give him much credit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I don't always like his. I don't think they always fit the song as well as they do here. Um, but I think the Into the Valley of Death, Fear No Evil section is really good. I would have liked more of that. Mm-hmm. But the woes carry that melody on. And we've all established that we like woes. And um, the bass playing along with the fast riff right at the end is great. Um, so I have mixed feelings about this song. I never really disliked it. Uh, it's actually kind of growing on me after seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wrote, uh, I like the wicked version of Wasted Years. I like the, 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 the I like that intro. It kind of is like, it's like hearing a wicked version. Like Adrian's is kind of, you know, this is a clean version, but this is like just a uh, slurred, slow down, wicked version. And I like it. And that build that starts happening, you know, when Bruce starts, uh, was it first line? No, walking, uh, wandering aimlessly in a cold, dark mist, like that, that, the drums building behind him and everything, like Kirsty said, it is like the unsettling is a good word for that. Uh, and then, of course, he, you know, they have the wasted years thing going. And then of course he mentions laughing in a sea of madness. Like they do that on purpose. <laughs> kind of think so, but I'd like to think so. Yeah. But I like the melodies in the verses that he's singing when he starts out, you know, both, both sets of verses start with the word Raven in there too. Uh, listen closely to the Raven Raven's call as the Raven again passes by. Uh, I like those. I think the song is a solid song. I this is one of my it's probably one of my more favorite tracks on the album overall. I one thing I did notice though listening to it recently that I haven't noticed before is when Bruce is singing just the melody of you know in the verses that the the let's see. Let's see if I can say it right. The rhythm guitar, like the riffing underneath when he's singing, sounds really good. Uh but I like I like the verses. I like the pre-chorus, uh, and I think the chorus is good. The only thing I don't like about the chorus is it feels like he pushes a little too far when he says that, you know, ask them no questions, tell them no. Mm. Ah, it's a little high up there. Like it almost seems like it's like he's about to go off the edge, but he doesn't. But but it doesn't bother me enough to, to that I would say negative about the song. I, I really do think it's a solid song, and. Um, I think Yannick is two for two in his uh, songwriting contributions to the album so far. And uh, it's actually only, he only had two, so he did good. 
So where you say where you say that he stretched himself on that note, do you think that this is all conscious, consciously done, knowing what he was going through at the time to show what he could do? Well, I don't think he knew at the time. Well, he he didn't have it diagnosed until the album thought, was finished. Although I thought he was, he was self-diagnosing as he went along. Yeah, yeah, he was looking up. Yeah, he knew something was going that. on. Yeah, he yeah. knew something was up. Yeah, so, and I think he probably was thinking too. I want to get through this album in case something does happen. Yeah, he's probably trying to do the very very best he could to get it finished quickly so he could get on and get. Yeah, yeah. To the doctor or whatever, but. Maybe he's just singing it like that because that's how it goes and he's Bruce and he likes to push it. Yeah, yeah. He likes to push it. I I, I definitely know that he's – I mean, we've, we've heard that he's been doing that since he joined Iron Maiden and uh, he's not going to – I feel like if he couldn't push himself that way and he felt like he couldn't push himself that way, I feel like that's when he would be like, it's, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Yeah, he pushed it. Real good. Push it real good, yeah. So next song is track number nine. It's Tears of a Clown. I'll go first on this one. Uh, I don't have a lot of notes on here, but it's one that I've, I've talked a lot of uh, negatively about talked negatively a lot about it. And I think when it starts out, it starts off pretty generically by Iron Maiden standards. Um, But when you, when I listen to this song, uh, I, I find that the lyrics in this song are they're very powerful lyrics. Um, you know, we know that they were written about Robin Williams and what he was going through. And I, I think when we did the last album battle, I mentioned 
that maybe Steve resonated some with it because of what he had went through in the past, you know, like around the X factor. Yeah. But, um, so maybe that, I wonder if that, you know, cause these lyrics, like I was reading through them the other day and I just was like, um, the smile it beamed or so it seemed, but never reached the eyes disguise. You know, I thought that that was a pretty powerful line. Uh, the false smile maketh, and I thought that lo- the word mm. maketh in there is so like I don't know. It just it's classy and it it sounds so great. The false, <laughs> the false smile maketh of the man, glass empty or half full. Try to try to make some sense or sorrows drown. All looks well on the outside, underneath the solemn truth. There's something that inside has died. Like that's some really, that's really really deep, powerful lyrics, and you know it, it. I find more for the lyrics that I kind of think I'm liking this song more. Uh, I think the melody in the verses is pretty okay, and the the pre-chorus is uh, okay. Um, the the chorus uh, is okay, and I do. Remember the first guitar solo in this song is really, really good. <laughs> so, mm. so yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm coming around on this song some and much more than I had in the past. So I'll say that. So that's me on that. So, uh, Kirsty, what do you think of Tears of a Clown? Yeah, uh, I find it a pretty straight ahead rock song. It, it doesn't feel as maideny, mm-hmm. but I still think it's a, a very good song. And um, I like that chugging rhythm. And um, I think it's got a really nice, vocal melody like quite accessible i guess um like you say the lyrics really make you think uh, maiden got quite a few songs about depression mm-hmm. and i think like you know as steve's experienced it and he wrote the lyrics they come across really well and i think the solos from adrian and dave are, are very emotional and they were even better live of course i did get to see this one live it's a it's a very fairly simple song for Iron Maiden. It's not really like them, so mm-hmm. because of that, I don't have too much to say about it, except that I think it's pretty good. Okay, okay. What about you, Matt? Yeah, this is interesting. This track because this is the one that will usually get bagged first. But I don't. I like it. Is it going to be the first thing I want to go hear all the time? Well, no. But it is what it is. It's just a somber song. But you talked about the lyrics, and I always thought that one of them was just an interesting way to phrase things. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe it's all just for the best. Lay his weary head to rest. I was like, it's, just, it's kind of odd. It's just just accepting of you know taking your own life. That's what I got out of this. And I don't know if that's right or wrong or what. I just thought it was odd that you would just come out and. Maybe that was from the point of view of the person who's doing it rather than. Ah, okay. Like who's talking about it. I'm not sure, but I think it works better that way. As first person thinking that. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I see that then. If you put it that way. Uh, It was interesting. I thought that Bruce had to ask Steve what this was about, that he was surprised. But then I guess. You know, everything can be taken one way or another. The verses yeah. in this, this is probably the least demanding song for Bruce on this album. The verses are flatter than the other tracks. And that's fine. It's a somber song. But musically, I like it. But I want to hear it live. 
eh, probably not. I'd rather hear something else. Mm-hmm. But on the album, I would never skip this. Is it their best track? No, I'm not saying that. But for what it is, it is still a good song. And like you said, Kirsty, the solos in this, poor, they're tasteful. And it, it's just a nicely done Maiden track that might not sound like a traditional Maiden track. But I think that's a strength. They didn't have to throw in a time change or left turn or anything like that. It's just straightforwards. I have no problem with this track whatsoever. All right. All right. So track number 10 is The Man of Sorrows, which was written by Dave Murray and Steve Harris.
first off, uh, do you remember this one, Matt? Uh, not usually. I usually think of another track that has the same the same title. Yeah. So why don't you this tell? This is your Shadows of the Valley for me. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about it, Matt. Well, hang on. Can I listen to it? Sure. Because I probably have to. I suffer the same thing. I know I like this track, but unless I'm hearing it at the time, it's just it's just never there for It'll me. It'll hit, and he'll say, "Oh yeah, I like this one." I do because that's how it is. I just I always think of the Bruce Dickinson version. Um, I just put some notes here, musically and lyrically. It paints a vivid. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Oh, do you know what? I've skipped this, or I've just deleted you my notes. Written any notes about it? I think I haven't. Because you don't know how it goes. I forgot about the track, and I can't think how it goes off the top of my head. Either I've just deleted it, or I skipped it. And that's that's, that's the other Okay, we all do stuff like oh, that. Oh my god! I know Dave Murray has his little intro. Mm-hmm. Bruce sounds good. It's all coming. I like the chorus. That's like I like it. What does it sound like? <laughs> I don't know what it is about the song. I could just never remember it. And it is very melodic. I think it's because it keeps changing every two seconds. Yeah, let's fast forward a little bit for that. This sounds epic and then it's going to go into a little heavy section. I remember when I listened to it. chorus here eventually the chorus is cool yeah have you heard enough now or are you good sure I don't think I could add much because I'd have to listen to the whole track I don't know why I have a fog in this track uh, let's hear the chorus why not people just heard the chorus heard it heard it anyway but let's hear it right now just for a sec However bad it sounds on your end. <laughs> oh, that's it. Wait, wait, wait. I like that way he does that. Of time. I like it, sounds a little disjointed when he does that. Like, not quite matching the music. Mm-hmm. But that's what I like about it. So I have no idea why I can never remember this song. It's just odd. But yeah, I've got nothing else I can add. I'd need to sit there and listen to it again. And I don't know what happened to it either. I had no notes. I forgot. What a shame you got selected to go first on this one. Yeah, of, of all the things. <laughs> I didn't even realize, like looking through the tracks. When you were pointing out what number are we at, I was like, he's not right on these numbers. Because <laughs> I was missing one. Yeah. What about you, Kirsten? I know how it goes. The Manosaurus. (laughs) Um, I think that lush, slow, bluesy Dave Murray solo could be my favourite example Mm. of this. Yeah. I think um, Bruce sings that really nice, slow melody from Like a Man Without Home to Living Life Without a Dream, that section. That's so lovely. I could have had some more of that. 
yeah. but like they, they don't come back to it it just keeps changing all the way through and it really does a new section that it doesn't really come back to um i think when the drums come in and it steps up a bit as that it's really chugging rhythm and yeah the bit that goes now we know, need to know the truth now mm-hmm. <laughs> two nows in one sentence but you know i don't have a problem with that um <laughs> i never thought about that, that bit, uh, the bit where the um that really dissonant jarring note comes in on the keyboard it doesn't really sound like anything else i've done and i think that's just incredible i like the chorus i think the lyrics are sad uh, i think the lyrics are a little bit hard to decipher as well yeah but at, at the end you've just got these really nice calm guitar harmonies so whatever it was about i think you feel at peace at the end and you know it's just some really nice bluesy solos um it's like they're all just jamming at the end but yeah it's all over the place it's such an interesting composition but i can kind of get why you can't remember it matt because there's nothing I can't even remember what I can't really to remember. hang on to because it just keeps changing and changing and changing and there's no two bits of this ever alike. To hang on um, to. Yeah. No hooks. I mean, every time I hear it, I was like, oh, I like this. I can just, it just never yeah. sticks with me. Yeah, it sounds nice, but it, I wouldn't call it catchy. Definitely not. Mm. I feel like this song is kind of a sister song to Tears of a Clown. You know, part of the, uh, just the theme you know, like a man without a home, watching people come and go carry on their daily lives without a thought for the ones alone. Like, I never even knew he said that till a couple of days ago when I read it. Uh, and then, but then it changes to another person, I think, or maybe the same person. Cast the dream aside, like throwing a pebble into the ocean tide. I thought that's a really, that's a really cool line there, though. Um, yeah, Dave Murray's solo at the beginning of the intro is just He's never done a bad one when he does that. I mean, of, of you know, of the ten or so songs maybe in their catalog that start out like that, maybe we need to do a rank. Maybe that's what we need to do. Do it. Well, just rank the Dave Murray openings. Yes, that would be a good one. That's going to be forget one of our. This one. Huh? <laughs> It'd be tricky. I'd forget this one. Yeah, well, you'd have to listen yeah, to it. You just have to write it down when you do it. Ste- Maybe this is should be. Maybe we should start referring to this song as the mat of sorrows. <laughs> this is the great unknown for me. This one. It is. It really is. Uh, but yeah, I think the lyrics are good. Um, there's only one set of verses in the song, but it's a very long set of verses. The solos are good, and I the soloing at the end, like Kirsty said, it's really interesting. It's 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 almost another weird thing they've never really ever done before. It's just this really pretty thing. And then you get a couple of like, you know, you're getting some hi hat hits from Nico just where he's like kind of things. And just, it's just like, they're trying to let the song slowly fade out on its own without forcing it, giving it the time to have a life of its own. And I, I really dig that part. I think it's pretty cool. So, but I think this is a, it's a pretty decent song. I mean, it's not top of the line made, but it's not, it's not a stinker either. So, which leads us, Matthew, to the closing track on the album, uh, Empire of the Clouds, which I think we all know was written by Bruce Dickinson.
and I'm being a jerk because I'm going to go first on this one. But I don't have a ton of notes. I don't have a ton of I'm always a jerk, so uh, I don't have a ton of notes written down on this one, but uh, because my original notes all got deleted. But I thought when I was listening to this the other day and I thought this has got to be the most surprising thing that any Iron Maiden fan would get on a first listen by Iron Maiden, wouldn't it? Like you're going, okay, I remember listening to it that first time and going, okay, here comes the 18 minute song. What's this going to be, you know? And then that piano starts and you're like, whoa, Mm. as a piano. Well, let me make sure I got the same eject the the CD real quick. Is this the same? (laughs) Is this the right album? But like, I thought that's gotta be one of the, you know, most surprising things you would, you know, shocking things as a Maiden fan to have heard the first time. And I mean, I still remember it, but, um, there's a lot of verses of different, a couple of different piano melodies. And every one of these, I think Bruce just said, you know, he said, I play piano with like one or two fingers. And he said, he just kind of tinkered around long enough until he came up. And I'm like, there's some really good melodies on the piano in this. Um, uh, this is a song. I will say this song is a masterpiece. This, the music and the lyrics tell the story. Uh, the fact that they integrated SOS into the music is, is genius. Um, and this one did take a little while to grow on me. It, it, it didn't hit me all at once. Like, Oh, this is just this amazing song, but I watched a lyric video. I posted it on Twitter a while back, but it, it's a lyric video with the story going on behind it and reading the lyrics and just how detailed they were and how it just, it really brought everything full circle for me. And, um, I just think, Musically, it's an amazing song. You know, lyrically, uh, it's an amazing song. It's just, it's a masterpiece song, and uh, golly, I love it. To ride the storm to an empire of the clouds. To ride the storm, they climbed above their silver ghost. To ride the storm. To a kingdom that will come To ride the storm And damn the rest Oblivion Before the blue Hanging at the mast 
waiting for command His Majesty's airship The R-101 She's the biggest vessel built by man A giant of the skies For all you unbelievers The Titanic fits inside With the fury, with the beating yet to come, the fury yet to come. In the gathering gloom, the storm rising in the west, the coxswain stared. Uh, what about you, Kirsty? Yeah, it's um, it's something no one was asking for, wasn't it? An eighteen-minute song with a piano about an airship, but <laughs> yeah, it's been it's surprisingly good. Um, I don't always have time for this, like I literally don't. Um, and I think this song works best when you're really paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, so when it, when the recent anniversary came about, which is October the fifth, um, I made time to watch the fan-made video and it makes such a difference and you don't notice the time then i mean even without the video the song's cinematic like the soundtrack to the story yeah um and because he wrote the lyrics it's not just this happened then that happened they're poetic i think the only thing that could maybe have made this better is getting professional musicians to play the horns and strings instead of using keyboards because it's been really nice to see some orchestras covering it. Mm-hmm. But I guess, and, and, you know, you could say, oh, they don't do that, but they're already doing something really different just by having a piano. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's nitpicking. I like mm-hmm. the story. Um, I like the effects, like with the Morse code and the sound of the crash and so many musical, cool, really cool musical ideas. The legacy riff reused fits the song nicely. Um, I was thinking there was quite a bit of recycling on this album, and I wonder if people thought it was a clue to being it being the last one, especially ending with something just completely different like this. Mm-hmm. Like their career, it went from Prowler to practically mm. classical music. <laughs> so it's just uh, you know just changed such a lot, but still really incredible and you know like Bruce said if that was the last thing he sang because as you say he he might not have been able to sing again right um he would have been something to be very proud of absolutely absolutely The ship is in their backbone Every sinew, every inch She never flew at full speed A trial never done A fragile outer cover Her Achilles would become An Achilles yet to come Sails up the sky
Well, this is an 18-minute journey, isn't it? Hashtag. Is it too long? Uh, like Kirsty said, you know, sometimes you just don't have time to listen to it all. So the length can be its own worst enemy, is what I think. Well, I don't have a problem with the length of the track, but sometimes I'm not going to have a chance to listen to the whole track. And, you know, you want to throw away... Words like masterpiece, this is nothing short of a masterpiece right from the start. Mm-hmm. And it 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 feels like a song that has its own you know, different acts within it. Mm-hmm. But right from the start, so that little piano intro, like I imagine if I was watching a film modern day and they go back, go back to a different time period or something mm-hmm. like that. Like imagine, you know, something like Titanic, say. Mm-hmm. Where they were doing that from the current time, but this is what happened back in the day. That's right from the start. I get that kind of feeling about it. This is back in time somewhere, no pun intended. <laughs> but just who knew about the R101 before this track? I didn't. The only person, no. can... Andrew. But, <laughs> Andrew Whitney. I was going to say the only, the only person I, I could think know. of that <laughs> may have would be him. Yeah. But now it rolls off everybody's tongue on the R101. So, you know, Maiden are teaching you a little bit about history here. Absolutely. But it just, this song just paints a, not even a picture. It's so visual, these lyrics. But when I hear the song, I can see a movie in my head. And, like, you talked about the whole SOS part. Mm-hmm. Just the chaos. So there's that middle piano part going up and down, up and down, up and down, then hitting into the dun, dun. And I can I can see the chaos. Like, there's a part where... You know, and it's building, mm-hmm. but I'm getting this montage of chaotic, well, just chaos. Yeah, just bearing itself. I don't know. It, it's a great track, but some of the lines in here, like I like when Bruce starts wailing. Um, like the watching that part. Yeah, the cover is ripped and she's drowning. Rain's yeah. flooding into the hole. That part there is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, bleeding to death and she's falling, lifting gases, draining away. Uh, there's so much to like. You could pick so many different things out, whether it's it's another track. It's Everyone's on fire on this. Mm-hmm. The, the rhythm, the solos, this song is so big, it's, it epitomizes epic. The only thing is, sometimes I don't have the time to listen to it, which is a shame mm-hmm. because, God, yeah, like Kirsty said, think about where Maiden started. <laughs> you know, yeah. The first track was Prowler. <sighs> this is the journey that they took you on. This is yeah. what I love about Maiden. I'm not stuck in a time period because I've, I'd like to think that I've evolved 
with the band, mm-hmm. except for that last track that I could never remember. But <laughs> this is a track like this is what makes me proud to be a Maiden fan because they're not just stuck in this little box that they've gone outside and done other things. And I don't know, this is just a great, great track. Oh yeah. 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 I think you can't say much more than that. I mean, it's just, it's what I say is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone with way more intellect than us could do, you know, more Mm -hmm. justice, but I mean, it's a masterpiece of a song. It was just, it's there's, you could just keep going incessantly, I guess, really. So, but yeah, that what a way to close the album. And you know, who knew Bruce that might he didn't know if that was going to be the last thing he ever recorded. So, I think it would be really cool if, if Bruce did that on a solo tour, you know, but that would be difficult to do with all the, you know, having a piano out there. Imagine he comes from the ceiling on a grand piano, like Axl Rose. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the problem is that'd be a quarter of your set. Of the yeah. Set list. yeah. That's yeah. right. You just rather hear all the other songs. Yeah. Yeah. But well, we've accomplished that now. So now we have the last task here of ranking the songs from least best to best. And we all know how this works. If, if anyone's listening for the first time, we just start with the least best song or the worst, depending on how you want to call it. And we rank them like any sane person would, except for maybe one time, you know, 
Uh, okay, so we will rank the songs now. And going first with their number 11. Matt, what you got at number 11? Number 11, something has to be last. And I do like it, but I'm going to go with Tears of a Clown. Okay. What about you, Kirsty? Well, the one that I skipped. So I'm going with the red and the black. Wow. All right. Well, no matches today because this this might be a shocker for at least one person out there. My number 11 is When the River Runs Deep. So, Matt, what do you have at 10? <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. But yeah. it isn't bottom. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, you know, Man of Sorrows, when I hear it, I know I like it. Yeah. I know I like it a little bit more than Tears of a Clown. I, I never remember that I like it more. The so number 10, Man of Sorrows. Okay. My number 10 is Tears of a Clown. So it moved up a little bit. It moved up a little bit. What do you got at number 10, Kirsty? Okay. It's all right, but I'm not that into it. Shadows of the Valley. Oh, wow. Man, usually Matt's picking everyone's favorites. Gosh, usually Matt's the one shocking me here. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so uh, number nine. uh, I, at number nine, I have uh, Man of Sorrows, the Man of Sorrows. So uh, what do you have at number nine, Matthew? Uh, Number nine has some cowbell. And mm. usually people don't like those tracks as much. Mm. Speed of Light. Oh, wow. Okay. It's odd coming from a Hooks and You fan. <laughs> I know. You know, it's the first thing I think of when I hear the cowbell is Hooks and You. Yeah, he's about to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Let me rearrange this <laughs> list real quick. Uh, what do you According have? According to YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I know. What do you have at number nine, uh, Kirsty? I have Tears of a Clown. Okay. Okay. Number eight. Uh, I have at number eight, I have death or glory. Uh, what about you, Matthew? I have a song that's climbed like a monkey death or glory at number eight. Also. Oh, wow. That's the first match. Mm-hmm. Kirsty. I don't, I don't think we're going to get a match with Kirsty though. No, um, like Matthew, I know that I like the man of sorrows better than tears of a clown. So I've got the man of sorrows at number eight. Okay, okay. So, number seven. Matthew, what do you have at number seven? When the River Runs Deep. Mm, Okay. Uh, I have... uh, You you just put my number 11 at number seven. I'm going to put Kirsty's number 11 at seven. I'm going to have the red and the black at number seven. And Kirsty, what do you have? At number seven. You're wrong. The correct answer is when the river runs deep. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll 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 take that L. Let's see here. Uh, number six. What do you have at number six, Kirsty? Death or glory. Oh, okay. Matthew. Uh, I have the red and the black at number six. Uh, even though I said it that I didn't like it. 
I do need a little more cowbell than you guys because I got speed of light <laughs> at six. So uh, not more than Kirsty though, because I don't think Kirsty's mentioned it yet. So I haven't. Yeah. So number five, uh, Matthew, what do you have at number five? Number five, I have Shadows of the Valley. And at number five, I also have Shadows of the Valley. Well, this is interesting. Two matches for me and Matthew here. What do you have, Kirsty, at number five? Speed of Light. So, okay, there you go. Close. It couldn't have been Shadows of the Valley, could it? That's been. Yeah, mm. I knew that. I knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> So number four, we're down to number four. Uh, at number four, I have the great unknown. Uh, Kirsty, what do you have at number four? The great unknown. Whoa, match for me and Kirsty now. Matthew, ding a ding a ding a ding a ding, ding. The great unknown. Yeah, no I we really did. did. We finally yeah, I was did. Messing us up. No, time. no, I really had that before. <laughs> That's oh, that is very special. Have you noticed? It looks like I'm the linchpin on these matches. You are. You mm-hmm. are. You are, and you have been, and you will be. So you, you're all coming around to my way of thinking. That's getting scary. So yeah. <laughs> all right. So um, number three. This is getting going to be interesting because I, yeah. if I'm thinking correctly right yeah. now. I don't think that any of us have said any of the next three. At least I don't think. Okay, so that's where the the real cream is. Yeah, so let's see. Uh, I'll go first here. I don't think I will have a match with Kirsty. I'm not sure. I I do think I'll have a match with Matthew. At number three, I have If Eternity Should Fail. Mm -hmm. Matthew, what do you have at number three? You don't have a match with me. Now, these top three are really hard to pick. Whoa. But my number three, as much as I like it, I had reasoning against why it works and why it doesn't, and it was purely the length. Empire of the Clouds. I can't always listen to it, so I put it at three, although it's a majestic song. I don't have time to listen to it, so I rank it lower. (laughs) No, that's... It's the truth, though. I don't always get time to listen to it. Too epic for its own good. There's it times. Is. There's times when I'm at work driving, and I know that if I start that song, I won't be able to finish. This. So I pause it and I'll wait till I can. Next time I'm driving, and I know I'll have at least 18 minutes. So yeah, yeah. I know what you mean by that. But yeah, if it takes me 18 minutes to drive to school, then I'm disappointed. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So Kirsty, what do you have at okay. number three? Um, I have to agree with Matt. Mm. You see, it's ah. just a little bit too long. You're rip on the me. Clouds. Two you matches with Matt. Oh, there you go. Three. Three, yeah. Okay, I can see that I won't have any matches with anybody else. So, okay. Number two, Matthew. What do you got at number two? Boy, uh, nitty gritty stuff. Uh, but I went with if eternity should fail. Number two. Kirsty. I went with the Book of Souls. All right, so I'll have one more match with Kirsty. Have the Book of Souls as a match. And uh, so none of us are going to have the same number one. Is that right? I don't think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Matthew, what do you have at number one? What I think is one of the best title tracks in the whole catalog, Book of Souls, number one. Kirsty, what do you have at number one? I have If Eternity Should Fail. And I have the correct answer, Empire of the Clouds at number one. So, but well, I just think it shows tells you something about those top three. Yeah, mm-hmm. those for are... all of us that it was hard to decide. Well, I would have almost been the same as you, Kirsty, because I struggled with Eternity being a one. Because um, I love that track, but I think Book of Souls just edged it out for me a little. Yeah, yeah. But I have a I have a question. I didn't know if we were going to touch on this or not. What we think of the artwork for the cover of the album? Well, um, I like it very much. So. Not too basic. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think it's simple. You just um, Eddie looks is in coming out of the darkness. He looks evil. Yeah. I think it works really well. I think you hit the nail on the head. I'd agree with everything there. Well, and 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 on top of that. They they went back to the old logo where they had the long N, the long M, and everything instead of having it like chopped off all in one spot. Yeah. So that I mean that adds it's a small thing, but it adds a lot. And yeah, I think uh, it was very important to a lot of people, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It just it looks it just looked dumb when it was cut off. It, it just made no sense. And and I think Lewis said that they were just kind of trying to change some things up. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, I just was like, why? I mean, if you if you come up with the perfect logo, I mean, there's look, Metallica changed their logo when they did the Load albums. Uh, I'm trying mm. to think of who else has changed. Other Aussies changed his logo up a bit. Um, you know, bands do it at times. So, uh, but yeah, that's like the perfect logo. So it's very nice to see that back. And yeah, Eddie looks menacing just with the dark. Or, or like it's he's in the dark with those glowing red eyes, you know. I've got the hoodie and it's got the glowing red eyes on it. Ah, oh, that's um, cool. It looks so cool. I remember like when my kids were little and they were at the park, and another kid came up to me and said, "I don't like your top," and then mum <laughs> told her off, and I was like, "Yeah, fair enough." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. So, well, there we have it. it- Matthew. No, I was gonna say it's just it's just a bold statement. It's just Eddie and nothing else. There's it's a part of me that wishes uh that, that wishes they would have used some kind of the same with the new album, that they would have used some of the inner artwork for the cover. But I, I would prefer I kinda that, wish they would have done it for one of them so that they went to Yeah similar to each other, but Yeah. Yeah. I would have rather had the inner artwork from Senjutsu on the new album because I I'm not a huge mm-hmm. fan of the inner artwork of Book of Souls like where he's holding the the beating heart or whatever and yeah. all that it's just a little too graphic and there's some there's some good you know uh, like I don't know what the word to use here Oriental artwork you know no, like it's um, there's uh, like on the Book of Souls it's um, Mayan hieroglyphs yeah. Yeah. And they, they used an actual scholar and their actual hieroglyphics from that time. Oh, cool. And they translated all the song titles. Yeah. Into the Mayan language. So Well and they had like did they have like a totem pole cool. too with their faces on it? Yeah, that yeah, was cool. Yeah. That was pretty cool too. Yeah. So Yeah, but I think overall I 
I mean, a band at that point, it was that was 2015, right? I mean, a yeah. band 35 mm-hmm. years into their career. I mean, that's you got. There's a lot of bands that they're just doing nostalgia tours for the last 20 years, and they're still coming around and doing the tour, playing what six, five or six songs. That was a great tour. I enjoyed. It. I took both of my kids to see that show. That's the only time I've had both of my kids in a maiden show, which was awesome. So. I, th- I think that just kind of makes it my favorite Maiden show, just because I know that my kids were with me. So it's not my favorite set yeah. list or anything, but yeah. So do you think it's awesome? No. Yeah. Do you think this is underrated? Very much underrated. I think it's a pretty it's underrated. Even underrated album, by yeah. me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, it's hard. But, Ranking stuff is difficult. When, when Maiden has it's such so unnecessary, you it's unnecessary. Go, oh, I like all of it, but where would we be then? <laughs> Yeah, it's fun to do, but to it's about. <laughs> sometimes I think about just ranking some of these albums. And I'm like, it's so it, it's you're just putting it's almost, it's just like you know drawing drawing names yeah, out of a hat. Put, like whatever you put near the bottom is still going to be really good because it's still yeah. homemade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay, so I guess with that said, we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish. So cheers. Cheers. Boy. Boy.
pizza places looked awful, ter terrifying. I wouldn't even want to go to a normal one. What are you looking at? Like Chuck E. Cheese and that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you terrifying. look, yeah, those big. Uh, if you look up a band is if you look up. I'll spell it out if you're on YouTube. I'll spell it so you can find the right documentary. It's like an hour and 15 minutes long or something. It's about the guy who invented them and these just really nerdy weirdo fans that is it's the word rock. And this is all one word. And then the letter mm -hmm. a and then fire. Mm -hmm. So rock a fire and then fire. space e fire. explosion and I think if you look oh, at yeah. yeah. the little documentary and there's a little, I didn't even have to finish typing it. Yeah. And there's just, you see this little, if, if it's got the right picture of the guy, it'll have, it'd be like a bald headed guy wearing glasses and he just looks like a big nerd kind of dude. And he's mm -hmm. a nice enough guy, but it's just uh good Lord, Matt, what do you do? Fall down the stairs. Thousand 
as silent as the ship began to die. The flares to guide her path ignited at the last. The empire of the clouds, just ashes in our past. Just ashes at the last. Souls came to die in France. 